Hey guys, welcome back to HC Medium Talk. On this episode, we interview Mr. Blystra, a teacher here at HC. You might pick up on the fact that this is not Mr. Russ speaking, and congratulations on being an observant listener. We are both taking Mr. Russ's podcasting class. I'm Adrian Cooney. And I am Emma Kern, and this is our first episode, so let's get into it. I, I'm in love with the language of the Bible. Hello everybody, if you're new, welcome to Medium Talk, and if you're not new, welcome back. We're here with Mr. Keith Blystra in his room, a very nice room, by the way. Thank you. Uh, how are you, Mr. Blystra? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me and having me a part of the, the Medium podcast. It's no problem. I mean, when I saw that they hadn't interviewed yet, I got really excited because I just know you got a lot to tell. <laughs> oh man, no, I, I, like to, I like to keep it quiet. <laughs> I think to like get things started, to kind of like kick things off, could you explain like what you do here from some of our listeners who have like no clue? Sure. Uh, I teach Bible and I teach mostly freshmen and sophomores. Those two classes cover the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and the section of the prophets. And I also teach a Hebrew language class. Interesting. Um, so obviously Bible and Hebrew are unique subjects to teach at a high school. What did you want to do with your life when you were younger? Did you think you'd end up teaching Bible at Holland Christian High School? Did you wake up one day and say, Bible, that's what I'll do? What factors played into this decision? Well, I heard uh, this voice when I was in my mother's womb. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know. I, you asked about you know my childhood. I, I think I remember Sunday nights after church with our family watching Jacques Cousteau and always being fascinated and really wanting to go on searches for the giant squid, the Architeuthis, <laughs> which is you know, not a great career path to go into, but it was, uh, it was something of a fascination. And my brother and I, we still keep up with the latest uh, recordings on the internet of elusive giant squids. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll go into it though. I um, actually have always had an interest in Bible just in general, and that's probably thanks to my mom. I, I remember seeing my mom not just reading the Bible, but really studying it and just doing it on her own. And it was something a part of her life. It was really incorporated into just how she lived too. And that was always really inspiring. Um, I never really thought college. That, that was not on my radar. It was not what my parents expected out of me. Um, I had no idea what, it, what I wanted to do. And to my parents' horrors, I really wasn't putting any effort into figuring it out much my senior year either. Um, and uh, I just assumed I would just carry on with my work in lawn care or do something like my dad did, something with my hands outside because I, I like working outside. My parents, my senior year, really wanted me to go to Israel with Ray Vanderlaan. And so reluctantly I did that. Right after high school I went on a trip and that I think kind of started a curiosity. Uh, more than just an interest in Bible but something more curious. I ended up going to college and studying elementary education. That, uh, that is not where I ended up. <laughs> Clearly, I'm in high school, so you never know where things take you. But I thankfully went to college, and I think it was people in my church growing up in Maranatha just down the road here that knew I, I liked working with kids and thought that'd be a good fit for me. And uh, so I went into it, and I always thought I'd be a first or second grade teacher. So that you you told us like interested in like lawn care, like I still to, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How was that switch? Was that a big switch from lawn care to like being interested in like teaching, or was that always there? That interest in taking care. Um, of? Um, I think it was when I actually applied to go to college and then started to take that 
side of life more seriously and got actually locked into a program. But I, I, I still work for the same guy I've been doing lawn care for for 20-some <laughs> years. So it's, a, it's, a, it's like therapy being outside. <laughs> lawn care is a hobby. Got to try that sometime. <laughs> After you graduated from HC, you obviously a little yeah. unsure about it. Like, I'm sure a lot of seniors feel the same way. But afterwards, it seems like upon first glance that you went down like the normal HC grad path, hmm. you know, like went to like a local college and then came back here to teach, which is great. But like upon a closer look, you went to Israel, which is crazy. That's like, that's not the norm. So what impact did your trip to Israel have on you, you think? Would you be here now if it wasn't for that trip? Uh, the trip that, after, that I did after high school? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I think it definitely opened some perspective. Uh, I, I also, t- before moving to Israel, you know, uh, taught in Southern California for four years mm-hmm. too. But I don't know if I would call or think of Israel as an insane place, this, like you put it. <laughs> it's like many experiences in life. You know, we, it takes other people to introduce us to things or put something on our radar. It, it takes someone who's gone through it before to offer uh, a path uh, to doing something that, from your perspective, might seem insane, but mm-hmm. um, is actually quite normal. <laughs> it was during my Kelvin years that I, I wanted to do a semester abroad, right. and I think that trip that I did with Ray Vanderlaan was inspiring enough to say, I think I'd like some more. So when I did a semester abroad in Israel during my Kelvin years, it was enough of an experience to keep me wanting something more and a part of what I was doing in my studies in education. So I went back a summer later. The summer before my last year at Kelvin, I I did a summer overseas in a little village outside of Jerusalem in the hills. Mustard was there as well, and it, it was just an intense biblical Hebrew language course. And it really was that experience that lit a different kind of fire, that I knew that there would be something in my life down the road that I would use in hopefully an educational setting. And I knew that if I was ever going to do some kind of graduate studies, I was going to do it in Israel. Uh, that summer program was really inspiring in that way. Yeah, so after teaching four years in California, my wife and I had our first kid, and we thought, well, if there's ever a time to go and do something insane, like you said, uh, be a, we're flexible enough. So we went right. ahead and, and did that starting in 2009. We took our nine-month-old and moved across the world uh, because we'd seen other people do it before us and we knew that that was possible and we would have support there so we thought why not how long did you stay there we we stayed there for five years it was originally just going to be a two-year program and we just kind of the first two years were really hard it's it's cool to go on a tour and visit and then leave to live there is a very Very different different experience experience. and two years we thought we'll just do it a you know, a graduate program, and, uh, and it will be done. And after a year and a half, we thought, I don't know if we're going to make it to two years. But, but we suddenly got really connected with the church community in a different way, and we fell in love with that community. And I also just didn't feel like I had enough Hebrew in me, and I really wanted to nail the language down a lot better. And so I just kept going, and it turned into five years, and usually about the five-year mark. Yeah. The country says, you've been here long enough. It's, uh, it's time for you to move on. So we stayed five years, and at that point, uh, we were wrapping up our visa. Helen Christian had an opening, so 
that kind of created an opportunity for us to apply to, mm-hmm. even though we thought we were going to go back to California. Right. Skipper's Construction focuses on exceptional use of space and budget as they design and build your dream. Working closely with their customers, they strive to create a home that exceeds expectations. Whether it's a new construction or a renovation, Skipper's Construction will work with you to design, build, or renovate your space. When you came to Holland Christian, was Hebrew already a class, or did you kind of like pitch them in that idea? No, yeah, it was, I, I think it was some point my first year, I thought, you know what, we can do this, and why not? Uh, this is, you know, we're in a Christian education environment, and we have an opportunity to really connect deeper with the Hebrew scriptures through learning the language. And uh, so it's a passion of mine because I realized what it did when we lived overseas in Israel is it put us at people's tables. It it gave us a deeper communing with the scriptures and with God um, that that is hard to sometimes get with translation. There are limitations with translation. Um, and, And the language offers a door to a bigger world. Um, and it's not just for our scriptures, but also real people with real experiences. And we found that that being a part of a Christian community that had access to a bigger community was really fruitful. And it, it gave a lot of meaning to life and just connecting with people within the Christian faith, but also um, our neighbors who are Jewish and just connecting with people. Could you give some like a specific examples like what has been going to Israel and learning Hebrew taught you about the Bible or God? Yeah, there's nothing like feeling like you're touching the source of something than when you read the scriptures or study the scriptures in their original language. It's, it's, it's really profound and it takes time, right? So learning language is a slow drip. A lot of people, we want fast everything, fast food, right. fast vaccinations, fat, whatever it yeah. is, you know, right now we want everything fast. And yet, when you give it some time and really like internalize the language, not just as something, as a tool to you know, make sense of a word or two, but actually let it sink in as a language, as a part of you, then there's a deeper connection to the words themselves when you read in the original language. But again, I'll come back to that human component. And I'll give you an example of someone who came out of my class um, the first time I did Hebrew 1 and 2, a student was involved in, um, I think it's the U.S. first, the robotics program. And I told him before he went to the international competition, I said, make sure you look for people from Israel. They'll be there. And it's Passover season. Just say Chag Sameach, happy Passover. And he did this. He found, he found, he's like, oh, yeah, I found a group from Israel. And I, I said, Hag Sameach. And, you know, his Hebrew was still very, very young at the moment. And they just couldn't believe it. <laughs> they couldn't believe somewhere, someone across the other side of the world who was, you know, not Jewish was speaking their language. And they started, like, taking their sweatshirts off and giving him clothing. They gave him <laughs> little gifts. It was really beautiful. And he felt it, too. It was really, really powerful experience to just connect with people. So I, I'm not lost on that side of things that, yes, I would say foundationally it's the scriptures, right? That these are our texts as Christians. And to come to them unfiltered is just powerful. But it's also connecting us to people where we can develop relationships, real relationships, 
And that's really powerful. And we've, we saw that in our five years. Mm-hmm. We were at so many tables simply because we took the time to learn the language. And hopefully that brought a better witness to Jesus around this world. So a faith journey. Everyone has one. They all look different. For you, was going to Israel for that Hebrew course with Mr. Mustard, was that the peak, like where you started really getting involved in your faith? Or was it, describe to us your faith journey before that. Sure. That's a very good question. I grew up in a really um, spiritual home. My mother was deeply, deeply connected to not just the study of the Bible, but her relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you grow up in that, that has a big impact. Uh, When you see your grandparents praying, that leaves a a big impression on kids. Um, And I had that growing up. I'm really grateful for that. I would say when I first felt some kind of fire or excitement for my own faith, was on our Maranatha Church mission trip to Philadelphia right after my freshman year of high school. And it was a very different trip. We we were connected with a guy by the name of Joel Van Dyke Jr., who actually grew up in my church, my my home church of Maranatha. And he had really committed himself uh, in inner city Philadelphia and wanted us to experience God there, not to bring any kind of like, we're going to come and fix stuff. You know, he said, God is here. We want you to see what he's doing here. That was powerful. And I remember that Joel had taken us after a week there to a beach in New Jersey. And he walked us through kind of side of life and of humans in the inner city. Because I didn't grow up in an inner city. I grew up in Holland, Michigan. That, that's definitely not an inner city. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he prayed with us. And those who were on that beach will be able to tell you that we, f- we experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a way that I, like, just, it, it almost brings me to tears. It was so yeah. powerful. And that motivated me. That, that changed me. Um, I didn't always have language for it, but I owned something for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was a powerful experience that I received, not, not through something that I did. It wasn't some kind of affirmation because, oh, I did something, I fixed something, and, and I feel better about myself. It was... God did something in my life. So that was a powerful moment, and Joel Van Dyke Jr. was was a big motivating piece in that. We heard an anonymous tip that we should ask you about the book of Leviticus, because <laughs> oh. you're very passionate about it, we heard. <laughs> wow, what, what do I say to that one? Um, you definitely talked with Mr. Russ or somebody. Yeah, it's one of these books that keeps calling me back, I think, in the Bible, and I just keep coming back to it. It's one of these books nobody likes to touch, and everyone has assumptions of some sort about it, but I love it. I don't know where to begin with it. I'll give you maybe a a framework. It's hard to make sense of many of the things that Jesus is doing in the Gospels without a keen awareness of Jewish purity laws that we find in Leviticus. It illuminates so much of Jesus' activities and nuance when we have a framework from Leviticus and what Leviticus offers for us. It's so central to daily life in Jesus's world. It's unavoidable. I would just recommend just go and study Jacob Milgram's work and you'll find all the answers. I I love it. I try to like help students maybe access it in new ways. And so I've been working on a way of reading Leviticus through Star Wars and, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Speaking about teaching your students, how long have you been here at Holland Christian? Boy, I, so we moved back 
to the States from Israel in July, August of 2014. So this this is my seventh year of teaching here. Yeah, you've been teaching here for seven years. Do you have any, like, classes or stories that really, like, stick out to you in those seven years? Wow. I feel like that would kind of call some students out. Uh, (laughs) I I feel hesitant to do that. I can give you one from California, a teaching teaching story that just, like, comes to mind right now. That's more about just you know, pointing a finger at something funny that happened to me. <laughs> so, so one time I got pneumonia oh. while teaching and I didn't know what it was. I mean, I'd never had pneumonia before, but I was at school when the conditions were just hitting me and it came on pretty fast. A fever came on me and just skyrocketed and I was like getting the shivers and all of this. And I remember staying in my classroom during lunch one day, I was just so miserable. I ended up locking my door because I just I just need a little break. There was a couch, a green velvet couch in the classroom that I thought I just need to lay down and just kind of maybe get a hold of this this fever. And I started to feel really cold, like ice cold. So I looked around my room and you know my classroom. There's just weird stuff everywhere. Frozen so I found doll. this um, this burgundy fluffy animal robe, and <laughs> I just put it on and, and cozied up on the couch. Turned the lights off. And all of a sudden, I heard my doorknob start to shake and turn. And I thought, oh, no, someone's trying to get in. So I I, I said a little prayer, you know, Lord, (laughs) don't let this lock fail me now. You know, I'm wearing a burgundy robe, animal fluffy, and the lights are off. I'm crouched on a couch. Whoever's going to come through that door just won't understand. And I won't know how to to explain it. I'm praying this, and then all of a sudden I heard a key go in, and it turned and unlocked, and I'm thinking, oh, no, because the couch is right next to the door. So the door opens, and it's the school admissions director taking a prospective family around the school. (laughs) I mean, it's like the worst-case scenario for a young teacher. And the first words out of her mouth were, and this is our Bible and history teacher. <laughs> I simply just like, I did not know what to say or do at that moment. And, and clearly they were quite confused. I have no idea if they sent their kids to the school. I would understand why not. Because that, that uh, yeah, that was a memorable little moment there. You're working on some alternative lesson plans or something. That's <laughs> yeah, how, very, very alternative lesson plans, exactly. You need the bathrobe to think. <laughs> so let's say I'm an incoming freshman. I don't know what classes to take. How about you convince me to take Hebrew? All right. Um, <laughs> I'm a teacher. Very Adrian, I'm a teacher. Convince me why you should not take Hebrew. Oh, dear. Well, I'm not <laughs> no, no, I won't make you do that. <laughs> um, look, the Bible is a treasure, right? And, and the Hebrew language is, is also like a treasure. It's, I can tell you that it unlocks doors. It, it opens up a whole world of the Bible that you've never experienced before. And, and those things might convince some people. There's really no other way to describe how touching the sources, experiencing the source of our Bible in its own language, on its own terms, brings us to just a different way of communing with God in a deeper level that sometimes translations can, can have their limitations and obstacles. Translations are amazing. I'm so grateful. Uh, this is my world, right? Lo- looking at the languages and, um, and it's the world of the Bible. But God meets us in the process of us searching him out. 
and whatever whatever way that that is, uh, just taking time to read the Bible. But I think he honors too that pursuit of coming to the sources because he chose to introduce himself um, to a people that this language became their home, right? The Hebrew language. And this is how God's word were conveyed to the world. And, and how they reach us yet today was through a language and a place and a culture and a time. And all these things mattered for the message to make sense. And so I, I'm in love with the language of the Bible. Um, I'm, I've yet to really get to get immersed in Greek. That's coming, of course. But <laughs> For now, I'm, I'm working hard with Hebrew and trying to invite students in because I've seen the fruit, not just for me personally with my understanding of Bible and how that helps, but also I come back to people. And uh, I see the words on our wall at school every morning, and they, they're daunting, right? To, to transform the world for Jesus Christ is a really big burden, yeah. yet I believe it. And, and one way that I think I can contribute something is by helping make the scriptures more accessible through the biblical languages. And this slow drip of a process of learning a language will produce big fruit, you know? You might go to a robotics competition someday and meet someone from Israel <laughs> yeah. and, and find that you have something to connect over. You might have a lot of differences, but there's something there that brings you to the same table and that is powerful. And that, I think, changes the world. It's pretty convincing. I mean. Schedules so we'll see you in a couple yeah. of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, schedules have to go on by the 12th, so maybe, I don't know, you might see me in a few weeks. All right. So to wrap things up, just a, quest, a last question for you. Words for like a high schooler who was maybe struggling on their faith journey, mm -hmm. and not everyone can go to Israel. Obviously, that's an awesome experience to like, kind of like experience that culture. And, but if one weren't able to have like an experience as powerful as that, what would you recommend? Look, we... We don't live linear lives. I think that's kind of how we've looked at history from our Western perspective or looked at my life. I have a beginning and I, I live this straight line and there will be an end whenever that will be. The Bible has a very different approach of how we experience life as humans in this world and experience God. And it's much more like a spiral that just keeps spiraling. We bump into things every year, right? Christmases and holidays and, and we're different people every time we bump into them, right? Sometimes we're, we have new people in our life and sometimes we've lost people in our life every time we bump into these days and these rhythms of life. And sometimes there are seasons that are really sweet, right? New life, new relationships, new opportunities. And there are other seasons that are really, really tough. Hmm. Um, broken relationships and confusion about how to interpret something that's going on in my life. and. And they can be crisis of faith. Uh, they can bring us really low or they can bring us to a place where we're unsure of things. I would really just encourage someone struggling to relax. And I know that that's hard. Okay. But what I find in the Gospels is that Jesus is pretty relaxed. He's, it's not like he's not serious about things. Right. But when I hear people asking him questions like, Lord, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, like, that's heavy. Yeah. Uh, someone's really working through something there, you know? <laughs> and Jesus' first response to that is not like, well, hang on now. Get yourself, you know, a little wax tablet or pen and pencil, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm about to lay down something that you're going to want to have for Write the future. He simply turns it back to the individual and says, well, how do you read it? <laughs> you know? 
like how how have you understood the what God is saying in the scriptures? What do you have to say? It he makes this the scriptures and this interaction between God and humanity something open always and worthy of coming into. It's not something pat or rigid or I don't know if that's making any sense. I see Jesus's attitude mm-hmm. is really relaxed and he's not afraid of things in this world. He's not afraid of people's assumptions, even though people put a lot of assumptions on him. You know, he's in the home of a Pharisee and there's a woman who's, who's got quite a career and, and she's <laughs> bathing his feet with her tears and wipe mm-hmm. them and people are scandalized. And Jesus is so relaxed. Let her do it. She's doing something honorable. She's doing something honest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my encouragement would be, first of all, just to relax, but also don't be dishonest. You know, find yourself a burgundy fur coat, cozy up on a couch, <laughs> and don't be afraid what comes in the door. Because right. guess what? I didn't lose my job, thankfully. <laughs> but there was also life on the other side of that, you know? And, and life will continue, and don't hold things too tightly because that, that just brings on a lot more pain. Yeah. Be willing to hold things loosely. Find people in your life that are committed to you. That was, that was great. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Thank you. Thank you. It's been good having you on the thanks. show. And thanks. Uh, thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for coming on. It's definitely worth it. Hello, all you HC Medium Talk listeners. You probably have already heard the Skipper's Construction ad from earlier in the podcast. In fact, we were going to make a new one, but we had a little trouble in that area this week. We tried to do something fun, something new. We tried to throw together a fun little skit, but it was all improvised, right? We were making it up as we went. Fun, right? No. Wrong. Very wrong. It was a disaster. My microphone wasn't working, something we didn't find out till later, by the way, and Mr. Russ got a little too into his character. He insisted on doing a funny voice, and, well, actually, I'll let you be the judge. Alright, here we go, here we go, here we go. Building a house? I'd really like to build a house. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought we were other people. Oh, are we ourselves? <laughs> well, I, I misunderstood. <laughs> I did, that threw me, that threw me. Oh, gee, I should. Have you ever heard a commercial? You got a story, plot, we gotta get into this. I'd sure like to build a house, I just can't find a builder. There's so many to choose from. I need some guidance. Skipper's construction, tell, tell me a little bit about them. I don't remember exactly what it was either. Well, you've really helped me narrow down the confusing options here at Hopper. Wait, we just went over it. Wait, no, my, no, but I didn't, it didn't record. Gee, you've really helped me make up my mind. I think I'm going to give Skipper's Construction a call. Yikes. I'd like to apologize to all of our listeners. That was terrible. Needless to say, we will be staying far away from improv and maybe from attempting to be creative altogether. It seemed like a bad idea from the get-go, honestly. (laughs) 